0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. They're called black swans. The name comes from a 17th century European assumptions that all swans must be white because all historical accounts of swans reported that they had white feathers. In that context, a black swan was something that was impossible and couldn't exist until actual black swans were discovered in Australia uh, some years later. Uh, Now the term is sometimes used to describe a a low-probability, high-impact event, Uh, something that no one maybe would have imagined. Uh, Things like the market crash of 2008, how bad it became. Or say you're on vacation in a third-world country and suddenly you're dodging bullets because the the rebels are trying to take over the government. Or a pandemic, uh, another example. Low-probability, high-impact event. What do you do? Where do you go? Carsten Kiefer, a Florida firefighter, was hunting alligators last August. Huh? <laughs> anyway, he had his own moment. He and his friends not only spotted one, they managed to hook onto it. I can't believe people actually do that down there. Anyway, the father of two said the animal managed to launch off the bottom of the creek and into the boat they were using. The alligator happened to get his teeth caught on the boat's railing, so it wasn't able to to pull itself entirely out of the water, but it did manage to latch onto Kiefer's arm. He said, at that point, everything happened kind of fast and we heard the skin rip and the bones crush. One of his friends managed to get a a rod into the creature's mouth so he could try and pry it off. Uh, But finally, when his mangled arm went limp, the alligator just let go. Uh, While all this was going on, he said, all he could think about was that his life as he knew it was over. You know, would he ever be able to return to the job that he loved? Do the things he, he, he looked forward to doing with his kids, uh, will they still be possible one-handed? During the 11 days he spent at a, a level one trauma center, a specialist implanted two plates and 17 screws into his badly damaged arm. And then there were skin grafts and thousands of hours of rehab. Uh, but his arm was saved. And he was, he's back at work today, and that's probably the reason the, the follow-up article was in the news this week. Still, you have to ask yourself, you know, freak accident or freak an idiot? <laughs> he doesn't blame the alligator. He says it was just trying to defend himself itself. So let's go with, you know, it doesn't take long for our <laughs> lives to turn upside down, does it? Uh, some disasters we bring in ourselves. Heavily extended on credit, most Americans are only a few paychecks away from poverty. Uh, life can be a wild ride sometimes, but believers believers never ride it alone. Our Old Testament lesson comes from the story of Elijah this morning. Now, there's a guy who had a wild ride. Elijah was one of the, uh, God's Old Testament, great Old Testament prophets. He was sent to King Ahab of Israel, the northern kingdom, one of the country's wickedest kings ever. Um, he and his evil queen Jezebel had brought the nation back into idol worship, particularly those all-time favorites of Baal and the goddess Asherah. Now, Ahab is introduced in 1 Kings as the son of Omri, and then it says he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Uh, Talk about following in your father's footsteps. The same words were said of his father, so he was even worse. Ahab even built a temple and set up an altar to Baal in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. Now, Elijah had some great successes from for the Lord, and he'd just come off a a big win, a sort of a contest, a face-off between the Lord God of Elijah and Baal, currently the people's choice. It resulted in a spectacular win for the one true God of Elijah over the no-show God of over 850 pagan prophets who had shown up hoping for a better end. The people saw that there was no hope in idols. And all those prophets were seized and put to the sword. When King Ahab returned to Jezreel and told the queen all the things that had happened, uh, she's vowed by all the gods that by this same time tomorrow, Elijah would be dead. And that's where our lesson picks up the story today. When the word of the queen reaches Elijah, he experiences his own, his own black swan moment. He learns that he's got just 24 hours to live, and so he runs away, fearing for his life. Listen to what it says. Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. That reference to his father was, his father's was a reference to the Israelites that Moses had brought to the uh, promised land. They got to the Jordan River. promised land was right on the other side. And the spies that they sent over to check it out came back with stories like there were giants living there and frightened the people so much they refused to cross. And so God turned them around and sent them back into the wilderness to wander for 40 years until all the people 20 years or over had died in the wilderness. And then the whole new crop of Israelites, Moses leads back to the Jordan when he dies and Joshua takes over and leads the people across. So uh, Elijah was feeling regret he was feeling shame, uh, in the midst of his fear. Things he knew he shouldn't, and uh, he was saying, "Just, just let me die, like, like my fathers did. I deserve it." That's what he meant, you know. But as a mediator of several miraculous events, Elijah had been riding a wave, and he can't understand why, after all this, the Lord would let the wicked queen take his life. Have you ever had Elijah's broom tree blues? You know, like for no reason at all, God has removed his protection from you and let the world have at it. That's how Elijah felt. But within Elijah's story is a prescription for beating the blues. And it's something you want to remember next time you find yourself sitting under your own broom tree, despondent and downhearted. First we're going to look at his collapse into depression. Elijah knew that Jezebel wasn't just making an idle threat. Uh, She didn't do that. We know from Canaanite literature that the goddesses of the Canaanites that they they worshipped were some of the most vicious and and violent characters imaginable. The goddesses even outstripped the gods of that time in their sheer violence. Jezebel was a Canaanite. She was a Phoenician. And she reflected much of the character of the goddesses she worshipped. There's one especially chilling account in Canaanite literature uh, of Anat, A-N-A-T a consort of Baal who uh, rides into battle with his warriors. And there's a very vivid description of the carnage that follows and how she washes her hands and, and the blood of her enemies after the battle. This is what the goddesses of the, the Canaanites' worship were like. And Jezebel reflected that kind of violence. She was a cruel and vicious person. And Elijah knew that she would kill him if she could find him. And so he took to his heels and ran for his life. It happened a long time ago now. So is Elijah's story relevant to us? Yeah, it is. In the Bible, James writes in his letter to the church in the New Testament, Elijah was a man just like us. That's something you don't want to miss in this story. Everybody collapses sooner or later. There are no supermen in God's family. Man was never created from super dust, just plain, ordinary dirt. Even a man of Elijah's stature... Can fail. So many others in the Bible as well. Great people of faith had their own moments of, of weakness and they came up short. Elijah failed when he ran away. After all he'd seen God do and the miracles that had worked through him, he ran away. And being a Christian doesn't give you some kind of Teflon coating that'll keep all the bad things of the world from sticking to you. Trying to live a Christ like life means there are going to be times when you look weak or you feel out of place or you stick out like a, like a sore thumb. There will be times when your Christian values could even cost you your job or your friends. But that doesn't make you unique. It happens to all of us. It happened to Elijah. Even Jesus got discouraged according to his human nature. The Bible said that he he anguished as as he prayed in Gethsemane. It was on the night that he would be arrested and tried and the next day crucified. He became overwhelmed with sorrow. We've all... All felt like that at one time or another. Even Jesus felt it. He didn't give in to it, but when you come to him for help in your distress, he knows what it feels like. So you shouldn't be surprised when you're tempted to feel discouraged or despairing. But there, 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 you don't have to give way. But uh, you're only human, you know. So uh, there's going to be times that you do. And in that way, the Bible is pretty realistic when it. in its expectations of us. And the Bible is filled with stories of people who went through the same thing. For instance, 1 John 2 says, I write these things to you that you might not sin. But then John goes right on to say, and when you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The standard the Bible sets for us is to be like God himself. But, you know, the Lord also knows our natures. He knows we're weak, and he knows... And he understands our failures. And as a result, he's not really put off by them. He doesn't reject us when we fail. He understands. So when it happens to you, there's no reason to despair. In fact, as hard as it is to imagine, a collapse often comes on the heels of a great conquest. The Apostle Paul warned the Corinthians, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10.12. It's often when we're flush with victory, we're most likely to fall into discouragement. You know how it happens? There's a subtle transference of our dependence on God to ourselves. After a big win, we may start to feel like we really had a hand in it, a big hand. And so we begin to trust in our own ability and our own uh, wisdom to work things out. And when that happens, Satan's right there to exploit that weakness. That's who you're really fighting against. You know, and we're bound to fail and fail miserably. So you know, don't be surprised if God allows him to take you down a peg or two. Not as punishment, but so that you're in the right, right place and, the, and in the right frame of mind to be lifted on high because God is also our rescuer. Maybe the best example of this in the Old Testament is the story of the Israelites defeated Ai. Ai. It occurred right after the victory at Jericho. Joshua and his people had destroyed that pagan city after they entered the promised land. Remember the song, the walls came tumbling down. That was their first contact with the Canaanites, and they'd been victorious. So they marched away from Jericho, all full of themselves, and they went right up into the highlands and launched an attack against Ai. Having previously spied out the small uh, frontier uh, fortress, it looked like an easy conquest. In fact, the Israelites said, let's not bother all the people, let's just send two or 3,000 to fight them. Well, the immediate result was a disastrous defeat. Uh, The Israelites were routed, and they suffered a humiliating loss. Remember why? They didn't realize there was a problem back at the camp. One man, just one man, had disobeyed God's command that certain things from Jericho were to be taken and set aside for the community treasury, and everything else was to be left alone, just to be destroyed. And there was just this one man who got greedy, and he grabbed a little treasure for himself and he buried it under the dirt in his tent. Nobody knew. Only he knew and God knew. But as a result, God wasn't with them when they went into battle. Now, had they depended on the Lord, had they gone to God first, you know, it would have revealed that problem ahead of time. But it felt like they were on a streak and that they were competent on their own, and they failed. Now, they forgot who really caused the walls of Jericho to come tumbling down. The Bible says... And the hearts of the people turned to water. They were depressed. They were discouraged. Joshua goes to God in a conversation that's reminiscent of the the conversation that people in the wilderness had with Moses when they uh, first began their trek toward the promised land. They were hungry and thirsty, and they complained, Did you bring us out here just to starve us? And Joshua goes to God after their defeat, Did you bring us all the way here? just for us to be killed. That's when God reveals the problem. And so they made it right, and that man paid the ultimate price for disobeying God. So remember that it's often at times of victory that we ought to be especially careful. Remember what Paul said. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. There's one more important thing about collapsing, and at the time it may be even the most important one, Uh, When you find yourself sitting under that broom tree of despair, remember this, even though Elijah failed God, the Lord never stopped loving him, and he took steps to deliver him. Despite our weaknesses, God has chosen uh, to bring his message of salvation into the world uh, through people just like us, just like us. James reminds us, uh, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Uh, You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, James 5.11. Now Elijah's frightened, and he's hungry, and he's exhausted. The story goes on, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. So first the Lord takes care of Elijah's physical needs. That's often a good starting point in our lives as well, even though you know when you're despondent and despairing, you don't have much of an appetite, you don't feel like eating for sure. But it's important. We're most susceptible to bouts of despair when we're feeling worn out. So this is where God begins with Elijah. He feeds him, he provides water for him. He wants to restore him physically, but God's ultimate desire for the prophet, of course, is to restore him spiritually. As the story goes on, Elijah's met led to Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai, the place where God first revealed himself to Moses and the place where the Ten Commandments were given. Once he was there, he went into a cave to spend the night. And God comes to him and he asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, he's not really concerned so much with the prophet's physical location, is he? So much as he is with his spiritual condition. Um, But really, he's asking, you know, what are you doing here? Why aren't you in Jezreel where the king and queen are? Up to your ears in ministry there. Why aren't you there confronting them like I called you to do? So in order to draw Elijah out, the Lord begins to reveal just who he is. Not who Elijah is, but who the Lord is. When we have problems with our own self-worth, he doesn't try to build us up by telling us who we are. At that point, that's not the answer. What he wants us to do is quit focusing on ourselves and begin to focus on, uh, on him. What was Elijah focused on? Well, you know, all he could see was Jezebel how to kill him. He was a wanted man. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now it's not very often that the Lord reveals himself to us in earthquakes or, or fire or wind. He did it on Mount Carmel in the Battle of the Sacrifices, but that's not normally the way he works. Usually he works through very quiet and very quiet, almost imperceptible ways, through men and women who are very much like us, people committed to his work. Elijah's problem was that he expected God to always work with thunder and lightning. He expected God would destroy the wicked queen with a thunderbolt, and when that didn't happen, uh, he got scared. Something to keep in mind when you feel like you've hit bottom, God is with you, even when you're running. Hebrews 13.5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's quoting his words to Joshua before they went into the promised land. You know, even those moments when fear takes over and we can't see past our own problems, God is with us. He saw Elijah in his despondency and even sent his own private angel to be a chef and encourager for him. An angel who, by the way, based on language and conversation, may well have been the pre-incarnate Christ. None of us can make it through life without the food God offers. Reflect on that when you hear his word read, when you sing praises in our songs this morning. Reflect on that next time you approach his altar. Think about this food from heaven that Christ provides for the, the, the healing of our souls and the strengthening of our faith. Reflect on the fact that God will never desert his children. He's always with us, and he sees everything we're going through, and he promises to help. The Lord delivered Elijah by teaching him not to rely on his own strength, but to lean on him. There's an old saying that goes, when God allows us to stumble, it's so that we can fall into his everlasting arms. You know, when he lets us fail as his servants, you better consider that it might have happened so that we lose faith in our own wisdom and strength and embrace his instead. And those times we don't feel like we somehow failed in our, in our faith or service, but we still fail to achieve anything but opposition, we should think of our Savior who was persecuted and suffered for us innocently. You know, through Jesus and his strength and by his example, we can grow in our faith and we can grow in our witness as we praise him and join him, join him in loving and forgiving others. So of all this talking this morning, take this with you. Hear that still, small voice of God saying, lean on me, and you can beat the blues. Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. The offering will be received uh, at the door as you leave, or as you came in, maybe.